0: Awareness, uh, they're going to be featuring a showing of Sound of Freedom. If you haven't seen that Jim Caviesel movie, here's a great chance, guys, to go check it out. Not only that, but bring someone with you. It's a no cost event, uh, and it'll, it'll include an interview with Nick McKinley. Now, if you're not familiar with Nick, he's the founder and executive director. Of Deliver Fund, it's a nonprofit private intelligence organization. Which, in a minute here, I'll tell you why that's so apropos to uh, label it that way. Uh, it, it combats human trafficking with counterterrorism uh, expertise, uh, and and they also support uh, law enforcement partners globally. Now, uh, here's a little bit on Nick. He was an operative who served as a country chief. For a special unit within the CIA, you know, McKinley witnessed not only the the epidemic of uh, understanding and, and training to influence uh, this uh, global crisis. Uh, you'll want to find out more uh, when, and go hear that interview with Nick McKinley and uh, catch the viewing of Sound of Freedom tomorrow night at Calvary Church West Side. That's Coors and Montano. Uh, if you're on Coors, I usually—actually, uh, if you're coming across Montano, uh, you turn on Winter Haven, and you end up kind of behind the church. Uh, or if you're coming south on Coors, uh, turn it, turn into uh, the Manzano Plaza uh, at that light. And actually, if you take that back to Winter Haven, it's a little easier to go back behind the church and then pull into the parking lot. Uh, but uh, you want details, go to calvarynm.church on that. Uh, welcoming Paul Guessing from the Rio Grande Foundation into studio. Paul, have you seen uh, uh, Sound of Freedom?
1: Believe it or not, I have not. Uh, it is <clears throat> a very challenging proposition for me with three daughters to go see movies yeah. that are not uh, suited to the aforementioned daughters. I realize it is a very important issue, and I understand that uh, I may be incorrect here, but I believe it is streaming or going it to is. be streaming uh, uh, That's why That's where I watched it. Yeah, So I'm looking forward to seeing it that way. Uh, my wife and I, over the holidays, did finally get around to seeing Oppenheimer, oh. uh, which I had every intention of seeing that when it came out right away.
0: I, I'm, I'm calling for Emily Blunt for the supporting actress on that one. Okay. I thought she did incredible. I thought it was a great, uh, very well done movie as well. No CG, did you know that? No CGI, you mean? Uh, Yeah, no, no, yeah. Um, Computer generated, uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, Which now think back to it, right? There's some stuff in there. Wow, how did they do that? Uh, The bomb
1: explosion by itself
0: was well. Even the remember at the beginning, the spinning around like the atoms. uh, True. uh, Anyway, uh, really, if you haven't seen it, yeah, I'd encourage folks uh, to go see it. I I always try to find online too. Ah, uh, those sites that say real W or R E A L versus uh-huh. real R E E L, right? And try to figure out what, what part was you know a lot of artistic license, right? Um,
1: yeah. And uh, Sound of Freedom, I know, is a very important movie. I uh, am planning to check that out here in a not too distant future.
0: Yeah, well, and and I would encourage it. Uh, I thought it was well done. I, I thought it was really well done based on a true story. Uh, But, uh, yeah, guys, uh, tomorrow night, Calvary West Side. I hope to see you out there. And and think about who you you can invite to come with you. Um, And that interview should be uh, pretty interesting. Hear from a country chief with the CIA, a special unit. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Now, uh, 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 with Foundation Updates for 2024, which leads to the question, Paul, how was your holidays? How was your new year? It was great. Uh, had a very nice time with the
1: family and uh, did a lot of fun and interesting things. Uh, sledding with the children on the other side of the Sandias was one of them. Uh, we took a family trip on the uh, Railrunner Express. You know, they, kids enjoy trains. And yeah. uh, we went up to the plaza in Santa Fe, messed around, just saw Christmas decorations, went to the, the Catholic uh Church, the Basilica up right, there. Right, right. Uh, we also went to the New Mexico History Museum, which is a really great museum. If you haven't checked that out, it's
0: I've been a to decade the, or so old. I've been to the art museum up there, but not the history. I would love that. It, it's very well done. Now, where Where is that on the hill? It's
1: adjacent. It is actually right next to the Palace of the Governors, so okay. right next to the plaza, and um, so you can walk to it if you take the rail runner. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've had some days where it'd be moderately cold, but uh, yeah, it's a 10-minute walk. And uh, had the kids with us, which, you know, the older two, I think, really actually enjoyed the museum. They're uh, soon to be 14 and 11. Uh, You know, they weren't necessarily, like, gung-ho about it. uh, But the the person who really, I thought, uh, enjoyed it a lot was my wife, who... Normally, I'm the one reading all the signs and all the yeah. stuff, and she's dragging me through the museum. Uh, I was trying to get a little bit more material in, and she was really in depth and she really had a good time. So uh, I ha- ha- highly recommend that museum. Uh, just, you know, it, it, the holidays are a time when I've never really spent much in Santa Fe, mostly session and occasional other meetings. Then the next day, literally the next day after that trip, I drove uh, with a friend and went skiing up Ski Santa Fe. And again, this is between Christmas and New Year's. And uh, I tell you what, you really get the sense of New Mexico and uh, Santa Fe in particular, the international nature when you... uh, just see people where where they're from on yeah. a ski lift uh, in Santa Fe. and There are people from not just all over the country, but really the world. I wound up with a couple of Argentines on a ski lift, a, a guy who came from France and lives in Dallas, who is a uh, owner of a French restaurant. Well, now, now, we've had Texans here for a long time. Texans are, are big time, but yeah, <laughs> I, I talked to him, and I, I told him, you know, you may live in Texas, but I can tell your accents not from Texas. And he he opened up and said, "Well, yeah, he was from from uh, uh, France originally," and talked a little bit about the Napoleon movie. Speaking of movies that have come out recently, so, I now is that out? Uh, it was in the theater. I don't think it's out on video yet. Okay, yeah, that's what I want to see. It's it's good. Uh, it is not as focused on his career and kind of the. The trajectory of him politically and his contributions to the world, as I would like uh, a lot more focus on his relationship with his uh, Josephine. Wife, Josephine, yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, well that'd but be interesting. Anyway, now you got movie review uh, time. Yeah. We can do that uh, as a <laughs> supplement to the the show. Very good. Well, we have plenty to talk about. Uh, the roundhouse, are is it our? It's our. The session's already no started. next Tuesday.
1: Okay. So okay. that'll be the State of the State address. Generally speaking, as a rule of thumb, it's the uh, day after Martin Luther King Day. So Okay.
0: Well, uh, now, uh, uh, last week we had Carla Sontag in here, and, and I know some of the stuff we're going to be talking about later in this hour is going to touch on some of that, uh, things that w- you know, were brought up last year and shot down. Uh, it's just a tease. You'll get the details coming. Uh, But uh, some things that are probably going to rear their heads again uh, as we head into uh, this roundhouse session starting next week. But first, uh, I thought we'd talk about uh, the opportunity you had to share concerns about the EV charging station mandate.
1: Yes, there is a lot going on still with electric vehicles. And in this case, they're charging stations. So... uh, Fresh out of the chute on uh, the day after New Year, so uh, the second of the the month, I had uh, the opportunity, shall we say, along with some other people, to discuss at the Construction Industries Division, a another one of these government bodies under the governor, uh, and they are being tasked with the decision to force developers of commercial real estate, including apartment buildings, but also uh, residential builders to add electric vehicle charging stations. We were primarily there to focus on the uh, commercial and apartments uh, and the costs that are going to be imposed if that is adopted. It has not been adopted as the public comment period. So, uh, a lot of folks from across the ideological perspective and kind of the, uh, you know, The the different groups, you know, got the environmental groups, you've got the construction industries, folks. I mostly see myself as representing the average citizen of New Mexico, the people who ultimately bear the costs and have to deal with these regulations when they try to rent an apartment or when they try to uh, buy a house or when they uh, are in a commercial real estate space that is uh, extra expensive because you have to pay... In this case, they're talking about 5% of the new parking spots being electric vehicle outfitted at these facilities. Uh, those are estimated to cost about 18000 per, but I have some information I'll share in a second that throws some different, uh, different light on that, uh, or uh, 15% of all parking spaces having to be outfitted. With what are called EV ready uh, electrical. So, a couple thousand bucks for those spaces. You add all that money together and it drives up the costs of these projects. And we already have high rent in this city that's gone up uh, dramatically. We don't need that. And that's the case I made to the division, the construction industries division. So, we also had uh, our Keep Your Cars In M website that uh, people went to during the November debate at the Environmental Improvement Board. We repurposed that and got 750 signatories. Uh, were, those,
0: a, were those digital uh, signatures?
1: They were digital in the sense that people went onto that website. It's yeah. Keep Your Cars and signed it. Yeah, But then they weren't like... Signature signatures. They were, you know, my name yeah. is so and so. Uh, but the, then I physically dropped them off at the meeting. All seven hundred and fifty. No, signed I, papers. I
0: mentioned this, Paul, because as I was reading this, and and I'm doing this on the air. I'm gonna I'm gonna allow you to hold me accountable. I would have signed that, and I didn't. Okay. Uh, and uh, anyway, um, yeah, I, I I just you may have talked about it. Maybe I wasn't listening, but. Uh, you know, in the future, when there's something like this, just to make you know, we'll make it clear. You know, there's a petition. A petition. Yeah. You know, how do you feel about it? You know, if you agree with what you know, uh, the Rio Grande Foundation's stance on this, and and you want to sign the petition, I think you did say that. But uh, just to kind of walk through the in the listener through, you know, remember you can go there now. Was was the petition posted at uh, RGF uh, website? It was at uh, keep your cars oh, That's dot right. Oh, that's right. You said that too. That's okay. Um, and you know what? You're welcome to hold me accountable on the air. Okay. Well, uh,
1: <laughs> we hope not to have any more of these regulatory uh, boondoggles before us in the future, but uh, I'm confident that we will have some at some future
0: date. I, you know, I had a couple other things, just thoughts on this topic. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, when you talk about you know mandatory, when you're doing a parking lot like that, you know what comes to mind for me is handicap parking. You know that is so different because handicap parking um, goes, you know, it goes all through the various uh, levels of income and lifestyle and uh, what have you. You know, that's one thing to consider. Where you know the these uh, there's not many inexpensive, if any, inexpensive uh, EVs. Uh, so uh, you know does kind of speak to uh, you know how many people that you know they're just trying to put food on the table are even going to have an EV. Um, the other thing is why is this all of a sudden a concern? There's not a gas station uh, in the parking lot of each apartment complex or um, commercial you know, uh, uh center, uh-huh. um, you know, if, if you're gonna, if you're gonna choose to buy an EV, uh, you know, why, why do the taxpayers, uh, and builders, uh, have to foot the bill for, uh, you know, something that you're, you that's a result of your choice essentially. Well, um, I'll answer it
1: this way because uh, you may recall uh, over the summer a much different time climatologically here. Where as we <laughs> sit here, it's uh, quite chilly out, very windy and cold. and Maybe some snow gonna fall here today. Uh, we took our family vacation through Texas, and I told you about how uh, excited and interesting Bucky's, uh, the big convenience stores, were. Well. Bucky's have ev charging stations available at them that is a free market operation they uh to my knowledge don't take any government money for it i i haven't researched this but i expect that they would not do that well they do that because their customers some number of them will stop at the Buckys and they'll go inside right. and get their chips and whatnot uh that's the way a free market works now uh it's a long time since gas-powered vehicles were, uh, you know, the new technology in town. I still think they're by far the best technology for automotive, automotive, uh, you know, carrying people from place to place. But uh, there are some number of people who want electric vehicles, and I believe that they should be paying the costs of those charging stations. And uh, unfortunately, we're in a time where politicians like our governor like Joe Biden also, uh, want to force people to choose technologies that they would like them to choose. And uh, that's where you get all these government regulations, and that's why you get average taxpayers and uh, the money that we make being taxed away to pay for EV charging stations. And I do think it is terribly unfair. I think it's terrible policy, and it's something that should not be done. And uh, that's... Pretty straightforward, I think.
0: All right. Well, uh, that, that that gets us to uh, our first break. We're going to take a break and come back. There's plenty more to talk about. Uh, Paul Guessing is our guest in studio from the Rio Grande Foundation, riograndfoundation.org, and you can go to Errors of Enchantment. Uh, you'll find the story we just talked about, errorsofenchantment.com, uh, along with uh, the other uh, topics we'll be talking about as we move through today's broadcast. So stay with us. We'll be back with more with Paul Guessing from the Rio Grande Foundation right after the break on ABQ Connect. Hey, thanks for joining us on ABQ Connect. Uh, you know, today uh, our guest for the full hour is Paul Guessing from the Rio Grande Foundation. And whenever Paul's in, we cover various issues and legislation and and things of of that nature. And with that in mind, I want you to know, uh, next week uh, we're going to be interviewing um, uh, Rick and Cater Zemke, who uh, are they oversee one of the courses. The life courses at Calvary Church, biblical citizenship—that really speaks to applying uh, the Bible, the things that that we know we're called to do in our community. Uh, and what does biblical citizenship mean? Uh, so that may be of interest to you, especially if if shows like this are of interest to you, uh, where we're covering various uh, local issues. Uh, and today we're doing that with Paul Gessing. We started. Um, uh, first topic today, uh, returning to the discussion about uh, the mandate for uh, EV charging stations. And and Paul, actually, you had more to, to say about that.
1: Yeah, quickly, uh, we did some public records requests because we wanted to know how much these EV charging units cost in the real world. Uh, it's easy to say, oh, it's eighteen grand for a Level 2 charging unit. Real quickly, there are three different... Levels of chargers. There are level three, which are very fast um, within an hour or so. There's level two, which take a few hours, and then there's level one, which basically you can only use if you have the overnight period at your home or something to charge. Oh, a lot like a lot like the phone chargers. I mean, some of them are you know the same thing exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, first, we requested CNM. We're all familiar with CNM. Yeah. Uh, they have four charging units. They are EV. Uh, they are two level two chargers.
0: So, so the tw- middle level, twenty thousand, about twenty thousand students. <laughs> oh, it's a big institution, yeah. And, and, and yeah, and okay, anyway,
1: forty-five thousand per unit. So that's you know we were being quoted eighteen thousand. Yeah. Now I get it. This is government, maybe. It's more expensive when uh, you get government involved, but 45000 per charging station, just the way it is. Uh, then you have a few other institutions of higher learning, which we looked at. One was uh, New Mexico State. They do not have any charging stations, which is pretty surprising. Surprised the heck out of me. Western New Mexico University, they're on the opposite side. They have... Four charging stations, which cost a total for each of $101,000, $682.91. Well, now, those are level ones. Silver City's rolling in it up there. Well, it's all state money anyway. Well, <laughs> actually, on this one, they did say uh, that $200,000 of the total project costs. So they haven't been installed yet, just to clarify, okay. they're coming this spring, but. of the cost was covered by a donation from Freeport-McMoran, which is a big copper miner. Uh, If you ever drive into Silver City, there's a large open pit mine on the left-hand side. Uh, And it's kind of interesting because it does make sense. We've talked about the minerals needed for these EVs. Uh, Freeport-McMoran, I'm sure they're doing it for multiple reasons, good PR, but also because they know that EV charging stations mean more copper demand, theoretically more open-pit mines, uh, which when you actually take the logic out and you show an environmentalist a nice open-pit mine, they might have a different thought about those pump jacks up
0: For some reason, I think they won't. I mean, clearly if they're an advocate... Uh, of you know, and listen, I'm an environmental advocate. I mean, I want to be a good steward. But we're, what we're talking about is the people that would show up uh, at this you know mandate meeting that we're talking about, and and say how great for the environment uh, this all is, and you know we don't need to uh, itemize all the different things that uh, prove that it's not, but it's not. Right. And 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 clearly, they've heard all of that by now, and and I doubt seeing an open pit mine, you know. Is is going to change their mind either? Yeah, there's a um, there's another agenda, in I, my opinion.
1: I don't think they look at the pros and cons. They just are told certain things, and they take it as a matter of faith that 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 is the right position, and they move forward uh, with very destructive policies and ideas, uh, regardless of the actual outcomes. Finally. Uh, New Mexico Highlands University up in Las Vegas. New Mexico has one charging unit at a level one, uh, level three. These are the slowest. These are the overnight kind of ones.
0: You were but, very diverse in your selecting of educational geographically and economic. and uh, Well,
1: we've, we've done it for all of them, but we haven't gotten them back okay. for everybody. I'd be interested to hear what tech is doing. Uh, tech has a request in. We'll hope for it. You know. Some of these colleges take a little bit of time off uh, during the holidays. Yeah, you know, right. Not not students, understandably, but you would think that maybe the public information office would be a little more diligent. But, you know, that's okay. New Mexico Highlands has one of the slowest stations, and uh, theirs costs $11,181.47. Uh, so,
0: I, I think the slower stations kind of go with the whole groove of Land of Manana. That's true. Um <laughs>
1: If you're feeling like hanging out for a good long time somewhere, uh, you can certainly use one of those level one stations. But, you know, uh, people who have that minana attitude may or may not want to cool their heels in a uh, public place for long periods of time. And I, I, there are public safety issues. There's all kinds of issues yeah. with those because, you know, yeah, it's not cool. always a Buckeyes. If you put them on the middle of the road in BFE New Mexico
0: well this the the this, this stuff that you deal with at rest stops as far as safety and security right. yeah
1: right. yeah uh you know imagine yourself you know you're a single woman traveling at night in uh, rural New Mexico and uh you have to charge your vehicle up and you you don't want to sit there for a couple hours with somebody who might be a predator who knows that you are uh you are vulnerable to them, that you can't really go anywhere, uh, that is not a uh, not a good situation.
0: Yeah, I agreed. Any more on the uh, mandate? Nope, that doesn't. Okay. Uh, the next uh, article found at errorsofenchantment.com deals with um, uh, an update where uh, the headline is No Love for Taxpayers in State Budget. Uh, yeah, I read through that. Uh, looking forward to hearing what, uh, well, I mean, I, I can read what you had to say, but... Um, well, we have a 3.5 or thereabouts
1: billion dollar surplus. That is on top of surpluses we've had in recent years, with a lot of oil and gas money flowing into the state of New Mexico. And uh, the powers that be in the legislature and the governor's office, uh, they have very limited amounts of money that they are setting aside for possible tax reform, tax reduction, or rebates. And we have been given literally no indication in the LFC, the legislature's proposed budget, nor the governor's proposed budget, as to what exactly they intend to do. But we can revisit this when we do know. We can. Yeah, We this is a 30-day session, so we will have about a week left in the session by the time we convene again, and hopefully we'll have a much better idea. And then certainly the following show in March, we'll have... A, an even better idea, because everything will presumably be signed and we'll know exactly what happened. But we've been pushing for gross receipts tax reform to uh, address the pyramiding aspect, so it becomes more like a sales tax. I sincerely doubt that that will be on the table, given. My my impression of the session is that the governor has a few top priorities economically. She wants EV charging station subsidies. She wants... Uh, money for her pet environmental projects. She wants to pass some big environmental policies. Uh, She wants to uh, address gun issues.
0: Is she planning to build any any more abortion clinics?
1: I do not believe that that is the case, but ultimately that comes in the form of the capital outlay bill, which is kind of cobbled together as the session goes along. Or that was, yeah, if you're actually going to build something like that. So the fact is that she has tons of money to do whatever she wants with, And New Mexicans, maybe, I would say best-case scenario, could look forward to some kind of rebate situation. That's probably best-case scenario. I don't think we're looking at real fundamental reform to our economy, to tax policies, lower tax uh, environment moving forward. It's most likely we're dealing with rebates. And like I said, that is better than nothing. But it doesn't improve the fundamental problems facing New Mexico.
0: I'm, I'm starting to think you're. Uh, I'm starting to find looking at this article, and you'll need to go online to see it for yourself. But, uh, Paul, you are a John Trevor fan.
1: I am a very big Trevor fan. <laughs> Trevor uh, really has his finger on the pulse. I think of what is happening across the state, of New Mexico, and the cartoon that uh, I put up associated with that is an old cartoon, uh, but it really fits the. Uh, The article and what happens in New Mexico, and basically, uh, uh, it's the elephants and donkey. Although in New Mexico, it's really donkeys uh, standing for the Democrats. Is is
0: that proportion uh, close to
1: accurate? Yeah, there's about two Democrats for every one Republican. I think that's a number that that does resonate, but. They're saying all the spending that they're doing uh, in the roundhouse, and then they are walking. If you've ever been to the roundhouse in the Rotunda area, there is a, a state seal, a very large state seal of the state of New Mexico. But Trevor has changed the words to government of the government, by the government, and for the government, which truly is, unfortunately, the way this That's state works. Uh, they take care of government number one. And uh, we will again be saying the governor has proposed a 10% budget increase. We will see a budget uh, general fund that uh, is essentially 10 billion dollars, which is much much higher than it uh, was before uh, when the governor took office. It was I think 6.3, yeah, and uh, it's gone. It it will have gone up by two thirds, yeah. in th- six years if this governor gets the budget she wants.
0: You know, I put a little note here. Paul, uh, do you see in any way uh, any possibility of a reduction uh, in the future? It's mean, uh, gone up 9% every year. The, uh, so
1: just to be clear, the legislature's budget is 5.9%. Still a robust increase, not quite nearly 10%. The only way that New Mexico will see a budget decrease in future is if a massive depression hits the entire globe and oil prices collapse. Because I keep telling people this, and the folks in the legislature, especially the Democrats and the governor, do not understand, and they willfully, it's its not, they can't comprehend it, it's that they're unwilling to comprehend it. Because they have bought into the idea that oil and gas are on their way out, that they're on their on their deathbed, and that we are going to move somehow, some way that they cannot fully describe beyond oil and gas in not not New Mexico, but in the in the world and in
0: the nation, and petroleum. I mean, yeah, petroleum. Um, so, are they going to start making slickers out of electricity? Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's those are questions that they do not have answers to. Okay. So the, the the reason that we're not in the same position, and I hammer this pretty much every time I talk about it is because for years and years and years and years, New Mexico basically produced the same amount of oil and gas every single year. And we were dependent on the price going up and maybe going down. And that affected how much money came into the state of New Mexico. For the last seven or eight years, it really took off at the tail end of the Martinez administration. Oil and gas have been dramatically increasing due to the fracking pot process, due to new discoveries in the Permian Basin that have unleashed oil and gas in ways that we've never seen before in New Mexico, to make New Mexico the second biggest producer, essentially septupling. That's seven times production of what we were just eight, nine years ago. So, really, really massive increases. Uh, and. Right now the price per barrel is about $70. We're not getting as much money as we would if the price was at 120 or 130 as it has been or $100 as it was not too long ago. But $70 is still very much in the sweet spot of where we can as a state
0: especially when you won't money. It by 7. You know yeah. when you increase. All right, well listen, if you just tuned in, uh the full hour today is with Paul Guessing with the Rio Grande Foundation and the websites we'd call your attention to our Rio Grande Foundation Dot org and and the articles and blog posts that we're covering are found at errors of when we come back we want to let you know about an article uh written recently in the las cruces sun news we'll get to those details after the break on abq connect Thanks for joining us on ABQ Connect. A reminder as we head into the weekend, uh, the Bible Binge continues. Uh, We started, well, we actually ended 2023 uh, with a a weekend Bible Binge, back-to-back teachings from Skip Heitzig from the series The Bible from 30,000 Feet. Uh, The last weekend of the year, we did the Old Testament uh, an overview of each book with Pastor Skip, and then uh, the the first weekend, uh, the sixth and seventh, uh, we we this past weekend we did the the New Testament, and actually in the New Testament we were able to run through twice. Uh, and now this coming weekend we're going to be binging prophecy, back to back teachings from Skip Heitzig. There's two messages in the series that Nate Heitzig. Uh, uh, gave. Uh, but in addition to those back to back, we're going to include uh, three messages uh, from a short series called Israel at War, messages Skip Heitzig gave, including interviews with people connected with Israel uh, and able to get us some real good insight. Uh, but uh, uh, those three uh, messages will air along with the prophecy series, The End is Near. And uh, we will actually, we'll start at midnight uh, tomorrow night, uh, so Saturday morning, and it'll run through the entire weekend and actually into the early, early hours of Monday. So uh, Monday till about, I believe, 4 a.m. But uh, that Bible binge on the way this weekend, and we hope you'll be tuned in over the weekend to hear various messages from Skip Heitzig as it pertains to Prophecy and the end is near, along with the Israel at war. So, uh, in studio with us for the entire hour, uh, it's Paul Guessing from the Rio Grande Foundation, and uh, uh, we covered uh, the EV mandate uh, when it comes to new construction, and uh, we talked about uh, the, our uh, state's surplus as we head into uh, the legislative session and what the uh, uh, the legislative finance committee. Uh, and, uh, you know, the budget for um, the governor and and what have you, uh, those articles found at errorsofenchantment.org. Now, Paul, if I wrote an article and it ended up in a local newspaper, I'd, you know, I'd be, you know, wow, hey, everyone, hey, check it out. This is a kind of a norm for you. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, Uh, it's, it's well, actually well-written. I, I I read through this. If people didn't see it, they can find it at errors of org under the title when it comes to 2024 session first, do no harm. Yeah, it's kind of the
1: Hippocratic oath for our legislature and governor. And I realize that is a, uh, uh, an unusual thing to apply to them, uh, We talked last year about the medical provider shortage, but this is really not about that. It's about economic policy and principles, and I have grown increasingly uh, frustrated and even cynical in my old age dealing with the uh, legislature in New Mexico, and uh, while there are certainly potential legislators out there who would do the right thing, who would improve New Mexico's economic conditions and outcomes through um, you know better public policy lower taxes returning money to the citizens of the state uh, they don't call the shots in Santa Fe and we have a group of people right now who are either ignorant or hostile towards business and returning those dollars to citizens uh, they just have that jealous mindset that uh, they want to be uh, you know in charge of distributing the dollars. And they don't like people who make more money than them or whatever uh, their perspective is. But the fact is, is that uh, there are, even with a massive surplus, opportunities and things that could or will happen in our state that could negatively impact the business community here in our state. And uh, that's including tax increases. So, we are you know pushing back against the idea that you would, at this point in time with a $3.5 billion surplus, enact tax increases. And so uh, one of those policies would be paid family leave. Where and you are, I
0: kind of teased that at the beginning of the show. I mean, this is something that showed up in the roundhouse last year, right? And you, you even mentioned it in the article. Exactly, narrowly was killed. Very narrowly killed in a house committee after passing the
1: Senate. The bill number last year was SB 11. So you could go to the legislature's website and find out more about it. But basically, the idea is you're creating a new tax that is imposed on employers and employees alike. They contribute money into this fund uh, administered by the Department of Workforce Solutions. And then, when people want to take time off, they take money out of this fund, uh, prorated based on whether they are closer to minimum wage or or higher. Uh, As you can imagine, given the progressive mindset of the politicians. The people at the lower end of the wage scale who pay less into the fund will get more, and the people who pay uh, more into the fund will get less, or at least less, relatively speaking. But this is going to be funded by yet another tax increase on New Mexicans, and they hit both workers and businesses. So uh, one of the things, I think, politically that works for us on this issue is that it puts everybody on the same side. A lot of times so-called progressives try to split the workers and the businesses off from each other. But here they have uh, both the potential for more money coming out of their pockets. Uh, this is definitely a high priority for the progressive left in the state of New Mexico. It's a 30-day session, so anything that happens will have to happen very quickly. And um, you know, we think it can be defeated yet again. Uh, that's not the only tax increase on the table for this particular legislative session. Uh, there is a possibility, um, based on last year, for a significant tax on alcohol uh, to be passed through. And you know, look, I understand there are harms of alcohol uh, associated with it, and drinking to excess is not a good thing. Spiritually, morally, or physically. But uh, there's also, uh, you know, Jesus himself in the Bible uh, turned water to wine. And uh, we have uh, a system in place for consuming alcohol as a legal substance. And uh, they want to impose a 25 cent per drink tax increase
0: on top of what we already are paying on alcohol in the state of New Mexico. Paul, with the title of, of that blog being New Mexico Alcohol Taxes Are Not Low, uh, was there, and I, maybe I missed it in the article, was, was someone saying they are? Uh, actually, if you
1: scroll down, you'll see a Albuquerque Journal headline from just this week that said, uh, Astonishingly Low Alcohol Excise Taxes Are Harming New Mexico. It may not have printed off, but it's. Uh, I can assure you it's there. So essentially what we did is I went through the tax rates that are applied currently under uh, state law to various forms of alcohol consumption. They're all different across these different um, things. But Distilled Spirits, uh, it is $6.06 per gallon here in New Mexico, which is ranked 24th highest nationally. Which is that middle of the road, right? Exactly. How high are beer taxes in New Mexico? 41 cents a gallon. Uh, that's 15th highest nationally. And, and, and you thought that was high. We can go higher. And wine, of course, <laughs> which is explicitly menis- mentioned in the Bible and a very critical role. And it's very integral to New Mexico history because we are one of the first places in the entire Americas that produced wine, thanks to the presence of the Spanish. Uh, we have the fifth highest Tax on wine at $1.70 per gallon. So uh, we do have serious problems with alcoholism and a variety of drug related issues, but taxes are not a great way to address them. It is much more important that we give people a reason to live, that we get them into a community religion is part of that and giving them a purpose spiritually and fellowship with other people. Uh, Just raising taxes on alcohol is not the way to do this kind of thing. And it's, it's the same across the board. You can make fentanyl, for example, or other drugs that have been used and abused and pretty much are only abused illegal, and you can put people in jail for using them. But That is a very costly and inefficient way to go about eradicating them. I'm not saying you don't do it, but uh, I'm saying that people who have these issues are going to turn, unfortunately, to these substances. And you've got to get to the heart of the matter by getting to the spirit of the individuals and restoring faith, restoring families, restoring our society. That's the way to solve these problems, not just taxing
0: so uh, Paul uh, since we're still on the topic of, sure. of taxes kind of going back to uh, the um, family leave uh, issue sure uh, and, and we've mentioned it on this show and, and other with other guests to try to clearly communicate and help the listener understand what it is when they hear it. Uh, I kind of want to throw the layman's understanding at you and, and see if it needs correcting, you know, essentially what they're wanting to do is uh, uh, um, to pay for time off. um, uh, There would be kind of a pool set aside and that pool would be filled uh, by, uh, what is it? Five, five dollars for every thousand dollars I earn is going to be thrown into the pool. Yep. uh, And, and, uh, and then all my employer as well. Uh, so it, it is a tax. Um, is. Yep. Uh, and you know the 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 titles they put on these they sound good, uh, but you know realize what realize what it is that is happening. Um, and it, that's why it's so important that you know uh, we have uh, opportunity to cover things like like this with you and others that come on the show. Uh, so the. Uh, people who are listening and hopefully voting. And I'm going to mention that again. Uh, we we are free to vote. Uh, in order to do so, you need to be registered to do so. If you haven't, we encourage you to do that. And then after you've registered, when there's an opportunity to vote, go and do so. Uh, because it will help you vote for and hopefully put into office those that are – we call them representatives. And it's, you know, uh, I think we just kind of throw throw around the word, Paul – um, are they, you know, are they really there representing what I uh, would hope for uh, and others? Uh, and anyway, uh, that's a that's a whole nother. And, and, well, let and me I, say something. You mentioned the uh, the this trust
1: fund, this fund that yeah, did set I, up with those. Tax was, dollars.
0: was I close on that? Well,
1: there one of the criti- critics or critiques, you could say, of the bill. And it's going to be the same basic bill that was introduced last session. So, they have what's called a fiscal impact report that's produced by these nonpartisan paid employees of the legislature who look at bills and come up with an idea of of what is going to be done and what some of the issues might be with the legislation. And they said that there was going to be a problem with the solvency of the fund. And I think you're creating a lot of bad incentives here with this kind of thing because, uh, you know, if you or I are sick or if we have something that we're doing with family members that we're taking care of, we will take the time off. And most of our employers benefit, you know, understand that and realize that we are hardworking people and that we're going to do our best to get the job done. Yeah. Uh, what you're doing is, as government so often does, Catering to the lowest common denominator, catering to the people who may not really want to work and instead would prefer to take as much time as they can physically get off of their job and take money out of this fund. So you're you're rewarding yet again because this is what government does so well is they reward the people who are the lowest value uh, workers. And take money from those who are doing their best and only taking time off when they really, really need. That you know, time.
0: The, the best solution to the the problem of well, what you know, maybe they've been through their PTO and they don't have, and they and there's an emergency that comes up and they need time off. The best solution I have seen for that, and I know, and I realize this is, you know, uh, well, it, it's not government mandated, but I've seen uh, organizations that will create a benevolence fund. Uh, and there's employees that they max out on their PTO, uh, and they don't use it. Uh, and uh, you know what you can do instead of just having it kind of sit there and and hit against the ceiling. Uh, your, your, you know the, that you've put in your bucket. You can donate. Hours yep. to put into a benevolence fund that someone in the organization oversees, and a committee of someone in that organization decides uh, when some, when it's there's a request made to use it, uh, is it appropriate that that person use it? No doubt about it. That's one of many ways. I, you know,
1: I'm a big believer in freedom, and that's why I do what I do. And I also put myself, especially right now, but generally speaking. If you're an employer and you have a good employee that you want to keep on board, uh, you are not going to give them a hard time if they are being reasonable about some kind of time off request that they need to take care of a family member, that they have a health issue, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, that doesn't mean that all employers are equally good or that they are equally able to... Right cover this kind of expense, right. because if you're a two-person operation and that one other person takes a lot of time off, you may have to go find somebody else and you don't have the right. wherewithal to pay for them. But you know, in a free world, in a free market, if you need and think you might need those kinds of benefits, it's probably for the best that you work for a bigger organization that has those kinds of uh, of of benefits for you and not work in a really small bootstrappy business because that's you know, that's not an organization that's going to have the wherewithal to let you take that time off. So uh, you know, it's all about being reasonable and understanding and understanding that people, even in a free world, aren't always reasonable and that you can have other options, especially right now where we have low unemployment rates, we have lots of jobs going unfilled. Get, get yourself together and find a job that has the pay and benefits that you want. Don't rely on government to mandate through taxes that... We all get the same thing,
0: okay. And let, let me say this real quick. Uh, appreciate our engineer today, Tayshawn, keeping us on the air. Uh, I want to give him a heads up. Uh, we're going to blow through the optional break and head towards the the end of the broadcast with a couple of other topics that Paul's prepared uh, from the errors of enchantment. So uh, just in prep- and thanks again, Tayshawn and Jared. On you know, uh, regardless of uh, who's in, o- overseeing the board, we appreciate all you guys do. Uh, Paul, another uh, article, uh, blog found at ErrorsOfEnchantment.com. com. want to make sure to give you time uh, to talk about the thoughts on collapse of the PNM-Avangrid uh, merger.
1: Yeah, um, this is kind of a unique thing for us because normally uh, you and I talk about uh, policies and initiatives and issues that the Rio Grande Foundation spends a great deal of time working on. This is one that I think is sufficiently important to our community that I feel the need to share information about, but it's not one that the Rio Grande Foundation had a dog in the fight. We didn't take a side on the merger itself, but we had some pros and some cons. I'll so essentially, to set the table here... So you thought about it, you just didn't land on either. Exactly. But I think it's an important issue for yeah. people to understand. So PM is, of course, uh, the utility that serves a lot of New Mexicans. It's based here in Albuquerque. It's a block from my office. It used to have two buildings down there. Now they have one, uh, but they were... Uh, considered for acquisition by a company ultimately out of Spain called Avengrid. Uh, they have operations all over the world, including here in the United States. Their expertise is in the sector of renewable energy and bringing reliable uh, renewable power grids to you know to people. And so, as a result of the Energy Transition Act, that's something that we're very much part of here in New Mexico. So one of the reasons that the merger would have been a good thing is that given that push to go 100% renewable, Avangrid would have been better equipped, having that expertise from across the globe, to handle this push. Now, I don't think this renewable push is realistic. I think it's ultimately doomed to failure. We've seen Germany and other countries fail with it. But uh, if you're going to do that kind of thing, you should have People with the technological skill and uh, capability to and do thank it.
0: Thank you, Germany, for being the guinea
1: pig. Secondly, uh, having an outside company invest in New Mexico represents a vote of confidence for the state's economy. Now, PM is heavily regulated, but it is the by far biggest publicly traded company headquartered in New Mexico. And that would have been a vote of confidence saying, hey, we are going to make money in New Mexico. Uh, this is a good market for us to pr- buy into. On the opposite side, why the collapse of the merger was a good thing, uh, there were stipulations within the agreement that would have been nothing more than giveaways to various special interest groups. So they had labor got provisions and money and you know things that they want. Uh, environmental groups get their provisions. Other groups across the state were being essentially paid off to join the pro-coalition. And uh, uh, that's not good from a... I think political perspective, but it's also something that would have ultimately fell on the ratepayers of New Mexico to have those kinds of
0: benefits doled out. And I'd say this too on on this blog, and really on all the blogs. At the end of the article, Paul put uh, that uh, the Rio Grande Foundation, as we already said, never really saw a clear and convincing case uh, that one side had a clear and convincing case based on free market principles. Uh, but they also want to know what you think. Maybe there's something uh, they're not aware of uh, that you could uh, contribute to it and let them know your comments. And you can do that on each of these blogs, by the way, uh, on the website at uh, uh, errorsofenchantment.com. Maybe a minute, Paul, if you wanted to cover any that. So the last thing
1: was that uh, on the con side, why it was a good thing that it fell apart, was that p will continue to be headquartered and run Locally, with a focus on New Mexico, so uh, it's really it does get into the idea: Do you want more of a, a, a open market and investment in New Mexico, or would you prefer things to be run in New Mexico so that they're more answerable and more dependent on here us and responsive to our needs? So I can see both sides of that equation, and that's why we didn't, uh, for those reasons, we didn't jump into
0: the. Uh, the debate and Paul, we're pretty much out of time, but I do want to call attention to the the final blog. We didn't, we're not going to have time to cover, but go and read on. This was an interesting uh, blog, Paul. Uh, it's under the headline: uh, After big push, wind and solar contribute zero point one six percent of land office revenues. So there's the the what billions that we get from oil and gas and uh, the the wind and solar. Uh, yeah, uh, not not a, not a way, clearly, to, to, to make money. Yeah,
1: the lay, the land office in New Mexico manages state trust lands, and they do that for the benefit of the schools. They have to uh, sell leases on those lands. Oil and gas not only are the biggest by far, but continuing to grow in importance on those All lands. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to ABQ Connect.